When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Here for another interesting topic today in the Concerns series. Now, we're really nitpicking about possible minor concerns, I would say, about the Baltimore Ravens. They're a very complete team this year. Uh, but joining me today, Andrew McFarlane. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Uh, no complaints at all. And, and uh, Andrew's here to talk about players and receivers specifically who have connections with him. And we're all very aware of the Mark Andrews connection being a strong one. What other receivers could develop one? So, Andrew, let's uh, let you start off. This is your topic. I don't want to steal your thunder. Take us into it. Sure. Um, I mean, one thing that really, when when asked to think about concerns for the team, one thing that really struck me is I do think Lamar, and I think a lot of quarterbacks are like this. This is not a critique of Lamar per se, but I think he is definitely saw a quarterback that really looks to certain receivers, um, that he really wants to have a confidence in the receiver, someone that he looks to. And if you look back at the last couple of years, um, you can see he throws to Andrews, he throws to Hollywood. I mean, I looked up last year's stats and he threw for about 2,700 yards. Um, if you include Sneed, Sneed, 1,900 of them were all mm-hmm. to those three receivers. That is a huge percentage. Um, so that seems like it's something that's really important, especially since we now have um, Sneed. Sneed is gone. If you looked back the year before that, so then a lot of those passes also went to Hayden Hurst, and they went to Nick Boyle, and Hurst is gone. But then Boyle may be back, but we're not sure what Boyle's going to be at this point. So... 
Fair enough. And then, of course, they've used a lot of draft picks at wide receiver the last three years, including Miles Boykin, who doesn't seem to enjoy the same sort of relationship. Yep. And he's someone who I think has definitely had his chances to to connect with with Lamar, that Lamar has thrown to him in a number of important situations and he's dropped it. He hasn't been able to sort of fulfill that role and build that trust the same sort of way. I mean, I think that's that's fair. I know Boykin has his fans and his detractors. I really love his blocking. I wish he could get it together as a receiver. But, uh, you know, the comments you've made are very fair that, that he hasn't tracked the ball all that well. If you go back to the Tennessee game, he's had other problems with route running that have been mm-hmm. bad. Really, he was a guy it really going into year two, but even more so going into year three when there's not a pandemic going on, who needed a lot of personalized receiving coaching, I felt. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's not like I Boyle is not someone who I have a big problem with, per se. I do think he, he has a lot of talent and he has a lot of abilities, but he just, for some reason, in the critical moments, it seems like he hasn't quite been able to put it together uh, successfully. So um, I also think it's really important that we get those other receivers. And as you said, we've tried and we'll talk more about some of the different op- options and possibilities later. Um, but I think it's really key to us having a more diversified and effective offense. And I think that's a big part of what's happened to us in the playoffs is you get into the playoffs, you get into a real against really good teams and they can scheme for just basically two receivers to a large extent. And that, that has a big crackdown effect on us. Yeah. You don't want to put the other team in a position to play man defense. Anyway, part of threatening the, every blade of grass on the field is forcing them to be deeper than the deepest on both sides, not just one. Mm-hmm. And if Lamar never really gets into his progressions to a point where he's looking for the left side of the field, which is certainly something we've seen a little bit with him and his ex-receivers for the last three years, uh, yeah, it's a problem. And I think there's a tendency there that, I mean, you need to either stretch the field in depth-wise or in width, one way or the other, if mm-hmm. not both. And I think we have a tendency to do neither to a large extent. Mm-hmm. Hollywood brings some of that depth, but often we don't get it out to the outs outside the hashes frequently enough. And that lets the defense focus on the middle of the field. Fewer wide receiver screens here than a lot of other places. I mean, fewer screen passes in general, uh, but, but the Ravens, even though they've got good blockers at wide receiver, certainly a tight end that they can split wide, they don't really seem to take advantage of that as much as other teams do. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. And some of that's play calling. And I mean, we could talk about Roman and the play calling and their positives and negatives there as well. But you have to just sort of accept what you have, I think, in that respect, um, as far as the coordinator. Um, Okay. Um, The next sort of the things that I want to talk about sort of building off of that is we started to touch on some of them is that I think there's a number of things that make this situation more critical for us. Um, And as far as Lamar connecting to different receivers and have made it harder to develop over the past few years. Um, We all know that he has the good relationship with Andrews and Hollywood Brown. I mean, that's probably a given in the cornerstone of the offense at this point. I think it's worth mentioning. And again, I don't want to come off as criticizing them, but I do think that they are not either. They're not perfect players either in that Mm -hmm. respect. uh, First of all, I mean, I think they both have a tendency to make impressive catches at points, but then also sort of make a dumb mistake at different times. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the example that I would give for that is, remember, I'm forgetting, I should have looked it up, but I'm forgetting which game it was. Um, But near the end of last year's postseason, when Hollywood made the great catch on fourth down on the scramble play, and, but 
it's easy to remember that play and forget the two that he dropped so that half of us were screaming as soon as we saw that it was going to him. No, this isn't where we want the ball to go. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think both, and I think Andrews has had a number of situations like that too, where he, he tends to sort of just make a dumb drop sometimes. Yeah. Lots of problems. And this is a problem for any receiver in the middle of the field. But one problem is doesn't really know when to go up for the ball and when not to. If the ball's too high, he goes up for it, he tips it. That often creates an interception opportunity that wouldn't be otherwise. And, uh, you know, oftentimes and receivers in, in general need to be careful about that. When, when's the right time to let the ball go and when's the right time to, to, to try and tip it. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's in the playoff game against Tennessee. Obviously, the first interception that really got the game going was mm-hmm. uh, one of those. And those turnovers are so critical for us. And yeah. and hopefully, Andrews has with the, the other the other players that like to do this gone have gotten over the tendency to try to hurdle people, which also was a similar sort of issue yeah. that he loved. That I don't know if he just loves the feeling of it. It's the go for it mentality, which, which is I understand, but it got him in trouble over and over again, which. Mm-hmm. Is spectacular when it works, but too often it's not. Both, I think. both in terms of injuries and fumbles. But whenever you see a tight end and they're they're um, upended in air, they get a helicopter. It's a high probability of a fumble, and mm-hmm. it's just it's one of those things you you hate to see for injury purposes, but you also hate to see it in terms of the fumble. Yep, absolutely. Um, I think another sort of amp thing that amplifies this, these sort of concerns is that we don't talk about Willie Sneed, but uh, I think he was someone who Lamar really had Lamar's trust. It seemed like he was someone who over the middle, when you needed a third down, if it wasn't Andrews, it was Sneed. And that's going to be something that, that Lamar looks for. And we need to get somebody like that back. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Rashad Bateman is supposed to be that. And what's been a little bit disappointing with me in camp so far this year is that with all the receivers down, I mean, literally, it's a it's a street of dying men at wide receiver for the for the Ravens. If you know the Gone with the Wind scene, I'm talking about as old timey reference. A I do. Bit, I understand, but but the uh, uh, the fact that Tylen Wallace has been healthy and he still really hasn't developed this relationship with Lamar is concerning to me. Obviously, they're not playing together in preseason games, but they are playing together in practice, and and Tylen Wallace just isn't getting the ball very often. So I, I was curious about that because it has looked like Wallace has had a little bit of that success in preseason games, but that's not with Lamar, obviously. So yeah, it's 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 very much with Huntley. You know, it, we've made the joke a couple of times on the show, so it's kind of getting old. But you always know where Tylen Wallace is because he's always somewhere in that right sideline. He doesn't <laughs> run any other route that basically goes yeah. back to the middle of the field. So I I would think it would be easier for Lamar to create a connection with a receiver like that where he always mm-hmm. knows where he's going to be. And you know, it's almost like if you only run two routes, that should be easier to, to, to find that guy as, okay, it's not Andrews, it's him, you know, kind of thing. But well, The one reason I had a little bit of hope for Wallace is that it seems like he fits in, maybe it's just with Huntley at least, it seems like they know how to freelance a little bit together. And that, I think, is important for Lamar, too, to feel like he can trust where this guy is going to be in a yeah. situation where the play breaks down. So Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a good extended play player. I think Bateman should be that. And the guy, the guys who, who strike me as being the guys who would be good at that are the guys who have no fear of the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Because that's where your really big breakaway plays happen. If they're on the right sideline, they're rules-based. And, you know, the, the typical extended play is a Lamar rolling right play. So yeah. he's already on the right side of the field. And, you know, the theory is that a right-handed quarterback shouldn't throw back across his body. Well, I think 
it's an opportunity for Lamar to be able to do that and go back towards the middle of the field. In a little way, we saw that on the fourth and five play at Cleveland last year. It wasn't, it wasn't a bad throw back across the field because Hollywood was open by 10 yards when he threw the ball. But sometimes you do take a little bit of a chance in the middle of the field with a guy who's in the middle of a, a zone thing. You think you can beat it and you go ahead and you throw it. Yeah. And with Lamar's ability to turn his body, I think it's okay. Um, extended play guys coming from the left side of the field are usually the bailout players in the middle. So uh, I, I would love to see Bateman be that guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, talk about like Lamar making plays and rollouts like that um, too. I think that that was another factor that I think is really why it's critical to have him develop a relationship with someone is that I think, I don't know, I, I'm far from an expert on this, but I, I, it's always been my impression that essentially running is one of Lamar's reads. And mm-hmm. I think that as a result, he gets through less receiver reads because a part of him is scanning the running lanes. And as a, and that means that he's got to just, he's got just to have those one or two guys, maybe a third, but he's often it's going to get to the third to pass to. Now, I, let me, let me tell you how I interpret that. The Ravens run a lot of, of multiple vertical routes, maybe even some where they keep, they keep a guy in as a blocker who's not ever intended to be a receiver mm-hmm. because Jackson is his own outlet receiver. So you have Ray Rice in the past with Joe Flacco. And the complaint there, of course, was the ball went to Rice too quickly, mm-hmm. too often, too quickly. And, you know, it, it, check down, check down, check down. And and if you're if you're a Pittsburgh fan, you call him that and, and, you know, pitch it up or check it down. Those are the only things that Flacco is capable of doing. With Lamar, I mean, he's got a lot more variability. What Lamar can do on a football field, particularly in the red zone, to throw a line drive instead of a fade route, very valuable to the team. Um, and and at, when he's at the line of scrimmage, you know, you, maybe we have to look at those some of those plays as kind of a connection with himself in a sense. Yeah. And then, and I would argue that I mean, often people see that as a negative. They see that as him being a running mm-hmm. quarterback, and instead of seeing like, no, this is something completely different and really useful and valuable that he can bring to the field. But we also just have to accept that that means that he might not get to that third read for his passer mm-hmm. and that that's, that's fine. It's just, so it's just a part of the package that you get with it. And um, I think sort of another sort of way of viewing that too, and it's to talk about potential connections for Lamar. Um, I'm kind of curious to see how he works with Dobbins this year. Because they've talked a lot about Dobbins out of the backfield. And if Lamar is in some ways his own short read, his own dump off, if they develop a, a good relationship with him and Dobbins, they could do interesting stuff there. That could be a really example of, of stretching the field to the sides instead of in depth. And I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a good opportunity. I mean, the wheel route is kind of a classic running back route for somebody with, with Dobbins's not elite speed. You mm-hmm. know, it's just he is good, but not elite speed. Um, it, we have seen some things um, that I probably am not supposed to talk about right now from camp that we'll, we'll get into in a later <laughs> okay. time. But anyway, Dobbins Hopefully we'll see them. <laughs> is, is, is an interesting guy because he had a bad year, I, I would say, as a receiver last year, particularly in the playoffs. Had some key drops against Buffalo and also, of course, missed a big pass block. One of the, I think he's a, he's a obstacle to himself as a receiver until he can get his pass blocking improved. Okay. That's a, that's something I've always been curious about where he's at as far as pass blocking. It seems to be so important often looking at the third running back on, on the team. And I haven't heard much about Dobbins and his pass blocking. So um, that also sort of is a good transition in a little ways. So, I mean, in, in a few ways, we mentioned this earlier a bit. One of the reasons I like Dobbins is because he's been on the team. 
is because he has that experience with Lamar at this point. Um, that's obviously one of the biggest problems that you alluded to earlier is that so many of these receivers have just not gotten the practice time. And that I think is a two-year problem. I think COVID really taking out last year's camp was a big deal, particularly for DuVernay and Prochet, because they just didn't get to work with him um, over that camp that much. You can do some of that during the, the year, but I'm not sure you can run the same practices, the same scrimmages, the same just sort of exploratory plays where they build that rep that connection between the mm -hmm. two of them during the actual year when they're playing. And then this year, obviously, Lamar gets COVID, misses the first, what was it, eight, nine days of camp. And that just means he's not there. And by the time he gets back, what, three quarters of the receiver core is out with some sort of injury. And so that's obviously going to play a big role in that um, as well. Um, and that leads to sort of questions about like, someone like uh, Watkins who was coming in. I mean, Watkins, I think, is I have a good deal of hope for, frankly, because I think Watkins is that type of professional receiver. He knows his craft. He knows where he's doing and Lamar is going to trust that. And he's actually my biggest hope for someone who can sort of step in a little bit for Sneed's, in for Sneed's Sneed, role. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. And ideally do that with even more explosion than Sneed could, because that was always Sneed's weakness, is that he was good at getting to the spot and getting open, but he's not going to blow it downfield the way someone like Watkins has the potential to. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things to like about Willie Sneed. Uh, another good run blocker, very physical player, despite not being the biggest guy. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I liked him a lot for that. Uh, he worked. He was another guy who worked well on extended plays with Lamar, trying to, you know, get open. Uh, there's a, you know, he needs more players like that. Watkins is a good bet, by the way, to do that with him. And Watkins' lack of fear of the middle, even though it really has not served him that well in terms of injuries career, is is a, is another thing that should help Lamar, yeah. I think. Um, I'm not sure as sure about Bateman at this point. I think you're right that that's what he does well. But I'd actually be curious to hear what you think about when he's going to be able to just get back on the field and develop a relationship where Lamar trusts, trusts him. Because that's so much of the key is that it's going to be in, he's going to be coming back. He's going to be behind the curve as far as picking up, picking things yep. up and learning the system. And you're going to be in the middle of the season. It, it really feels like best case scenario is he gets up to speed by the last third of the season and doesn't hit a rookie wall because he hasn't really played the first half. And that that's yeah, the best I, case. I, I would take that right now. I mean, for starters, you, you, you hit on exactly the two correct points is one, when is he going to get it back in the first place? And two, when's he going to gain the trust? So, mm -hmm. you know, first of all, the over under on coming back from from the injury, if they say it's late September, I mean, my over under because they're going to be careful. They're going to have multiple receivers. They're going to have difficulty in moving, making the roster spot work. My guess would be November 1st is is his, you know, first. And you're already talking about the last half of the season. Then you have some trust gaining exercises that are going to have to. They'll practice together. That'll help. They'll be practicing before he actually returns. That should help a little more. Um, but, you know, another reason why they're going to be careful, they're going to wait with him, is his whole game is sticking his foot in the ground hard and, and moving back. I mean, that obviously is not the kind of thing you want to do if you're at all injured. So, uh, yeah, I, th I think last third of the season, if you could do that and come into the playoffs as a, you know, a somewhat hot receiver with 250 yards or something, I'd, I'd be thrilled with that. Yeah. Um, DeVernay is a tough one for me. I mean, that's – I'm still not quite – 
sure what to think about what he's going to bring and what he's not going to bring. I mean, I, I want to like, like him. I am, I got a graduate degree from university of Texas. I have sort of an allegiance sort of side to that. Um, so there's plenty of reasons that I want to like him. I like his speed. I like his strength, but it seems like they only want to use him as sort of a trick back or a receiving or the, the swing out wide and set him right. up to run Gadget instead player, of, yeah. yeah, instead of as someone who they trust to run down fields. And on the other hand, he's been here for a year. He's someone who Lamar should have had a chance to work with, who should have had a chance to build sort of a trust and connection with. But we haven't, they haven't been on the field at the same time enough for us to find out. Right. I, I, I agree. It's it's definitely been a problem. And, and the fact that DuVernay is such a speed asset that they want to use in certain ways may actually work against him as a receiver that, that you know, they, they want to, even when they're not using it, they want to show the jet motion that puts the fear in the other team and makes them move out of position. A lot of the Ravens and what they did, they could do it with sidecar and they could do it, they, they could do it with jet motion. Those are kind of the two ways to threaten the outside of the field in one direction. They usually threaten the outside of the field in the other direction by having a, a two-person pull or a one-person pull, but a lot of two-person pulls the last five games last year. And they threaten the middle of the field quite often with Lamar. Is the is the guy who will run right up the middle somewhere and find the find the opening? They had great such great success getting the other teams to run themselves out of position. It wouldn't surprise me if they stick Duvernay with the same role and don't really don't really expand him. Yeah, which I think would be a shame because I think he has more skills than that, and he could even if if they were able to use him in that role, but then also get complete a few passes to him just streaking downfield mm-hmm. it seems like that would add another level a whole nother level to what the other team has to worry about when they see him standing out one of those positions and how they're going to use him and manipulate him in the formation so um i don't know there are other people we could talk about we talked about tyler wallace a little bit um you sort of doused a little bit of my hopes there but i think i understand your points absolutely um crochet is another sort of Someone who's, I mean, he's been so hot this summer, but I mean, your comments that you've made in other podcasts and other areas, I think make a lot of sense that he just, until he can catch the ball under full pressure with someone hitting him and shoving him off of his line, mm-hmm. how much can we really trust? I mean, they both he and DeVerne seem to have very good hands, but they got to throw the ball in and believe that they're going to catch it. Right. I mean, they, uh, with, with DuVernay, I think they haven't done as much in terms of, running in little slant patterns. Prochet, they did some of that last year, and it really didn't work out. And the two, the two pick sixes against Pittsburgh yeah. uh, were, were, were pretty much exactly that. But if they, if they were to run more of these routes to the inside of the field with DuVernay, that, that he has to catch the ball and then beat a linebacker, say, or even beat a safety for a really big gain, I'd, I'd love to see them take some chances and try and do that. And I think he got one short one like that in the first preseason game, I want to say, where he he cut in on a slant that he got about 10, 15 yards. And it was, I, I feel like, I remember seeing that in my ears sort of perked up and then it didn't happen again. So I wondered about if that was just an accident or if there was some, uh, if that was really a plan that they with, wanted with, to do. With those kind of passes, the ball needs to be on target. And Huntley is not the guy to really test the ball being on target, he doesn't just doesn't have the accuracy that Lamar does. So it'd be interesting. They may try it more with Lamar. Lamar's uh, he's throwing, I think, very well this summer. Um, you know, the, the the reports of a tighter spiral, I would say, are true. Um, he's been you know a little bit behind the receiver sometimes, but he's not often like all over the strike zone, like uh, you know the guy from Major League or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's he's, uh, he's he's throwing the ball pretty close to the body. 
If when he misses, it's usually a little bit behind the receiver, but not high, which is dangerous, yeah. and not way low, which is unproductive. It's just it's been he's thrown a good ball this summer. I'm glad you added that because I was going to ask if he was down because that would at least be better if he's if he's a little bit off, but he's a little down with those passes across the middle. And, um, other receivers, I mean, there's guys like Oliver as a tight end who, mm-hmm. I don't know, I mean, he's probably going to be a solid safety valve, but I'm not sure I can see much else there. And similar with Boykin, I'm not I'm not sure what we're going to see if he's really even going to get back on the field again or if it's just going to be running downs going forward. Well, with, with Boykin, yeah, I mean, first of all, he can be an X receiver on running downs and they can rotate him with the one other health, healthy X receivers of two that they have, you know, because we, we got to presume there's going to be some injuries in that position with what's currently going on with Bateman and Watkins. Yeah. So you, know, you do at least get a value there. I think, you know, Boykin also being injured now, if if he's able to come back or if you project him as being able to come back, I think you got to stick him on the roster and put him on three-week IR. I mean, I think I, I just think it's too much of a gamble with Watkins and Bateman and their current injury status and and – Watkins' long-term injury status to really believe that that they're going to be able to play a significant number of the games. And if you don't have them, you don't have an X. And that sort of brings me to the last person I'm it's almost debatable to bring up, but if we're looking almost at sort of rotating options based on who's actually managing to be healthy that week <laughs> as far as sort of outside people. What about Kane? I mean, Kane has looked good when he's in there, and I wind up, I, I somehow in my life, I have, well, one thing that's a part of being an academic is you basically wind up living wherever you get a job, and somehow I landed in Indianapolis. So, as a Baltimorean, Baltimore native and Ravens fan, and I, so I watched him when he was first drafted by the Colts, and he was someone who had talent and had potential, and as soon as he started to show it, he got hurt, which seems like half of our other receivers right now, but he he seems like someone who might be worth keeping around if the others that we could probably initially not keep on the main roster and then be able to bring back when somebody gets injured or after you get a whole raft of people onto the uh, three week IR. So it's, it's an interesting problem with Kane. I, I, I don't have a problem keeping him on the practice squad. My problem putting him on the, on the, Regular roster is somebody with more long-term upside is going to be have to get kicked off because Boykin, for example, is also a third-year player. So it's not like he has any more option value than Boykin. I think Boykin has way more athletic talent. Uh, so it's a it's a matter of who do you maybe trust more. And we, at least Boykin's an established blocker. Neither is an established receiver. You know, I, I think it'd be fair to say if you took if you if you drop Prochet for him. You know, I'm not the hugest Prochet fan, but I think Prochet's got way more upside in year two than Kane in year three. So I'd still be on 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 the side of keeping Prochet out of those two. So I, I have a hard time, you know, finding the 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 guy he replaces on the roster. That said, if the injuries con- continue and they might, then having Kane on the practice squad is not a bad thing at all. Yeah, I think he's the guy that you put on the practice squad. He's been with the team for the summer, and if there's an injury, he's the person you bring up. Is about where I put him. So. Right. I think that's what I had. All right. Outstanding. Andrew, great discussion. It's exactly what we want in these in these kind of concerns uh, uh, pieces that we've been doing. Uh, other people out there, I want to want you to just take a take a listen to how he does. A very, very not biased. It's just a very straightforward back and forth commentary. I really appreciate that, Andrew. Tell folks where they can talk football with you. Um, I'm on Twitter at A-M-M-C-F-A-R-1. And that's probably the best place where you can grab me. All right, outstanding. You mentioned you're an academic. Where do you where do you work now? 
I teach at a regional campus of Indiana University, and actually, it's actually the Indiana, Indiana University Kokomo is the specific campus, Kokomo. and um, my expert area of expertise is actually sports history. So I, I study modern Spain and the history of physical education, sports, and soccer, and how it developed in the early 20th century. Wow. Okay. That's very specific. That's yeah. outstanding. Thanks you for have to on. be that specific to get a job today. <laughs> yeah, You have to write basically a book. So, <laughs> Well, thanks so much for coming on, Andrew. Thanks for inviting me. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.